near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or, for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, NDERF. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Yes, I am indeed back. Uh, I do want to clarify, however, that John Messer is still the primary host of this podcast, but I will be hopefully an ongoing contributor as well. And I'll talk a little bit more about that after we share the experience for today. Today we're going to talk about the experience of Joel from Enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. And we'll include a link to his experience in the show notes in case you want to go back and read it for yourself. So Joel says, I was in the United States Air Force at Castle Air Force Base in Merced, California. I worked day shift there, and then I worked swing shift at Gala Wineries in Modesto, California. I worked as a GWW, that means a general wine worker. Part of my duties were to clean out the large tanks after the wine had been drained out. This procedure was to stop the fermentation process by purging the wine tank with nitrogen gas. This takes out the oxygen in the wine and stops the wine from fermenting. Then the tanks are supposed to be vented for many hours. The tank is checked for oxygen levels and, is, and if safe, an OK to enter sign is posted at the entrance, as it would be safe to enter. This sign was posted at the tank, so the cleaning crew that I was part of set up to work on the tank. However, a mistake had been made, and the tank next to this one was safe, and this one, or this tank, was not yet vented. In fact, it was full of nitrogen gas, and was in a deadly situation for anyone to go inside. What this gas does to people who inhale it is that it removes the air out of their system. It displaces the oxygen out of your lungs. I went into the tank and complained to the other two workers that the smell seemed really strong. I could tell it was an apple type of wine. We had a fire hose set up to a high volume pump. This is what we used to spray down the internal walls of the wine tanks. I picked up the hose and went to the far side of the tank. About 30 to 40 feet away, from the small opening that was also the only way out. I gave the thumbs up signal to start the water and chlorine mix, and the pressure hit the brass nozzle hard. This was normal, and the force pushed me back against the wall of the tank. I held on with all my strength. I only remember seeing the water start to come out of the hose and start across the tank to the other side, 
I never saw it actually make it to the other side, because at that point, I had been inside the tank for about three minutes. This time period was long enough for the nitrogen gas to fully remove the air from my lungs. They told me later that I just fell to the floor on the tank and let go of the hose. The hose started to fling about violently and hit my head and face hard enough to break my safety glasses in half and knock my hard hat off my head. The spotter at the entrance signaled to the guy operating the pump to shut it off. About five minutes had gone by since I first went into the tank. The spotter then came into the tank to get me, and he pulled me across the opening and pushed me halfway out of the opening. He then passed out from the gas. He had only been in the tank about 45 seconds. The other guy operating the pump saw me hanging out of the hatch and ran over to pull me out. Then he looked inside and pulled the spotter out also. The spotter started to come too and was able to get on his feet within a few minutes. I was still lying on the ground, not moving, not breathing, and turning blue. They began to offer CPR, pushing on my chest, applying mouth to mouth a few times, and since I was not responding, they stopped and began to cry because they thought I had died. I was having a completely different experience. The water coming out of the hose took on a strobe-like effect, and it never reached the inside wall of the tank. I was then traveling through a tunnel at very high speed. This tunnel seemed to be very long, like miles, yet it didn't seem to take any time to go through. There was a bright light. I was, it was drawing me to it. I felt like I popped out of the tunnel and fell into this white light, yet I wasn't really falling. I was more like floating around inside of the light. It seemed like a container of light, but without any end or borders. I felt very much at peace, and I liked being there in the light. I felt a presence toward the center and was drawn closer to someone there. I saw what I believed to be Jesus. He was in a white robe that was dripping in pure gold. It was so real to me then, and even now. I see all the details of how he looked to me. I felt so safe, so warm, and I did not want to ever leave his presence. I felt like I was home. Then he spoke to me and told me about my life and what was yet to come. He told me that I had to go back. I argued with him about staying, but he said that it was not my time to be with him yet, and that I had many more things to do in my life. He raised up his hand and pointed back to the tunnel, and I was immediately traveling back through the tunnel that I had arrived in only a few moments before. The tunnel seemed to be the same one, same length, and took about the same amount of time to travel back through it to life. I woke up on my back and looking up into the eyes of the guy that had saved me, and they were indeed crying. They were shocked to see me getting up on my feet again. They took me over to the medical and sat me on a chair to be seen by a nurse. Then they left and I never saw them again. 
the medical department said, tried to say it was my fault and that I must have passed out. They asked me if I had been drinking. I replied, no, I had not. They called my wife and she drove out to pick me up. I was mad at all the questions and they're implying that it was my fault. So I quit and I never have been back. The next few weeks I was in a daze trying to figure out what had happened to me. I never shared this until many years later to my third wife, now of 19 years. That is the end of Joel's experience. And it's interesting how, just offhand, uh, how different people react when people try to share these experiences. And I think this one, it sounds more like a liability concern on the part of the company or, or whatever, because it seems like they're saying, oh yeah, you were, you must have been drinking on the job. It must have been, you know, somehow they're pointing it as his fault. And, and he's so upset by this, he quits his job. And uh, it's kind of unfortunate. It sounds like he probably didn't get workers' compensation for, you know, the time lost as well as the medical bills and whatever. But uh, perhaps he had insurance to cover it. But uh, that's obviously not the uh, focus of, of his interest in this because he had this marvelous, marvelous experience. And um, from the moment that he is out, he's... And, and it's like there's this brief moment of where he is seeing things as he normally would see them. And there's this brief moment of, of alteration in reality, so to speak, it sounds like, because he says that suddenly the water coming out of the hose took on a strobe-like effect and it never reached the inside wall of the tank. Now, if I'm hearing that right, it sounds like he sees it spraying forth from the hose. But before it even reaches the wall, something strobe-like is happening. I don't know, is this flashing light, like a strobe light in that sense? Or is this, you know, that the water itself is somehow flashing in some way? I don't know. But before it even hits the other side of the, uh, of the tank, he's instantly traveling through a tunnel at very high speed. Now, the fact that people are often traveling through this tunnel at high speed is interesting because, you know, it's one thing when they, you know, maybe exit through, you know, say a hospital wall and find themselves floating off into space and then it slowly becomes a tunnel. This is more like, I mean, from the moment the water spraying out of the hose between that time and the time it hits the wall, he is instantly already in this high-speed tunnel. Interesting. And he's also seeing down it, and it's miles. I mean, he can see that it's a great distance, yet it's not taking any time at all to travel through. And then, of course, at the end of this tunnel, there's a bright light, and he finds himself in that light. And he says it's it's like he was falling, but he, he wasn't really falling. It was more like he was floating around inside of the light. And it seemed like, he says, it seemed like a container of light, but without any end or borders. <laughs> the way they describe things is so cool, because as difficult as it is to describe the indescribable, they try. And a container of light without any end or borders. That sounds like no container at all to me, if it has no end or borders. 
but it's a container of light. So it's like something is holding this light in place and something is holding him inside this light and yet he feels like he's floating in it. Contradictory sounding? Sure. That's the beauty of trying to describe these things. You can't do it. You can't do it. And thank heaven they still try. And then he sees what he believes. He says, I saw what I believe to be Jesus. He was in a white robe and was dripping in pure gold. You know, I was listening to a uh, another podcast about near-death experiences and how often people will see um, either Jesus Christ or God. And, and they kind of describe Jesus Christ as being common to see, but God not being common to see. And I'm And I'm thinking, I can think of dozens of experiences where he is seen as some kind of humanoid, either, either, you know, human just beaming so much light that you can't see his face, or sometimes just as personable and describable and, you know, feature-filled as if he was another mortal human being standing in front of them. The, the range of descriptions of what he looks like is so diverse and yet so detailed in all these different ways that I just think that's cool. I just think that's cool. And so he's talking with Jesus here. He's, he says, it was so real to me then, and even now. So this, the recall of this, or the recollection of this is so clear. And Jesus is talking to him, telling him about his life that was yet to come. Telling him about what things was going to happen in his life. Now, I imagine, uh, since he doesn't say much about this or, or about um, whether the things came to pass that are described in his future, or perhaps may, they haven't happened yet because he wrote this description shortly after the experience, um, but I'm guessing the memory of what was yet to come was probably taken from him. That seems to be extremely common such that I would assume that if somebody saw something that they don't give us more details on, such as, for example, knowing everything in the universe or knowing every, you know, molecule in the universe, what it's like to be any particular thing, um, they're not able to bring the memory of what that's like back. And even if they tried, I suspect um, it would be, it, it just our mortal brains would not be able to hold the information. I think it's that limited. And yet, what does hold in our memory is so profound to people, so profound to these experiencers, that it utterly changes their life. Completely changes them. And so, he's arguing with Jesus a little bit, and saying he wants to stay there in the light. But he says, it's not your time yet. Um, it's not time to be with him, and that he had many things more to do in his life, which is probably why he showed him some of the things to come. And then it's kind of interesting the way it describes this. It says that he raised his, up his hand and pointed back to the tunnel, and I was immediately traveling back through the tunnel that I'd arrived in only a few moments before. So he's only there for a few moments, it sounds like. He's there in Jesus' presence, just absolutely overcome with the with the feelings of being there, wanting never to have to leave again. And yet Jesus shows him his life to come, 
and then points back and says, you have many more things to do. And his pointing back starts him, uh, starts this man, or starts Joel back down the tunnel where he came from. And suddenly he wakes up on his back, looking into the guys who had saved him, pulled him out of the gas area. So interesting, so interesting. And true to mortal experience, he's instantly got to be focusing on the mortal things, you know, he's, he's got to get, get to a medical, um, you know, the personnel and, uh, have them check him out, make sure he's okay and make sure he's going to be okay and everything. And he says, the next few weeks I was in a daze trying to figure out what had happened to me. Now he doesn't say what he means by that, but there could have been some of the afterglow effect and whether he has after effects, he doesn't describe at all. But uh, that time of days trying to figure out what had happened to him is interesting to me because there is something about having experiences, deep spiritual experiences, that's a little disorienting. I think that's even for those who are spiritual, those who are familiar with spiritual experiences when they have them, I think there's still something disorienting about them, simply because as mortals, we are not equipped to deal with spiritual things. And I think that's part of the struggle of this life, is learning to make the the spiritual and the mortal work together. I heard a great description um, from a friend recently, we were talking about spiritual things, and he's, he talked about how it's, it's kind of like we've got to learn to work in a team, our spirit and our body. And that teamwork, you know, we, we sometimes think of it as, you know, that we've got to conquer the body and overcome the body and be all about spirit. But that's not what these experiences seem to be pointing at. And as my friend said, we need to learn to mesh these and and work in a team, this spirit and uh, and body together. And I think there really is something to that. We're not about escaping this life. This life is so important to us spiritually. The more I read about these experiences, the more I realize that we are here not just for a purpose, but also because our spirits long to learn. And if we cut that short because we want to go back to what we had before, we may miss the lessons that we came here to learn. So very interesting. Okay, so at the time that I'm recording this podcast, we will have, it will have been probably several weeks before. And so I'm not entirely sure what you will have heard if you're following these podcast by podcast, but I want to give a little bit of a background as to why I'm back. Um, because many of you will say, well, wait a minute, I thought he said that God told him to stop the podcast, which he did. And I want to talk about that. Um, and why am I back? Okay, I feel like the past, uh, my whole life has been a spiritual journey. I mean, I, I can follow step by step, you know, um, reaching a 
a different point in my spiritual development where I was ready for something more, something um, in addition to what I'd had previously. And all my life has been like that. In the past few years, um, with studying near-death experiences, that has expanded and and you know continued to grow, if you will. And so much of this growth, as we described, this disorienting um, thing is disorienting. And not in a bad way, though, because I'm approaching it deliberately. And I think when we approach spirituality deliberately, it's not an uncomfortable disorientation, but rather like, okay, okay, this is my next step kind of thing. And um, for the past few months particularly, I have felt some deep, deep spiritual yearnings and feelings of just, you know, needing answers, especially around the question of my purpose. I, I'm sure you caught that in um, the previous podcast episodes that I had recorded, that, you know, f- feeling that sense of, of purpose, needing to know what that purpose is, and yet knowing that perhaps I won't know what that purpose is, was really um, um, taking its toll on me. And at the time that I, uh, prior to stopping this podcast, um, uh, recording this podcast for myself, I, uh, I was really trying to learn to understand what it meant to hear the voice of God and and to follow his direction. And and that doesn't mean that necessarily that I I needed to hear him audibly or visibly or, you know, see him visually or anything like that or have some kind of near death like experience. I just wanted to be clear about his direction to me. And I was finding that it took great spiritual energy and great, you know, um, effort to get what seemed to be clear answers. And it felt sometimes like the answers I would receive, I would try to fulfill them or do them, and they wouldn't pan out. And I'd be like, well, that couldn't have been from God then, because I'm confused about that. Anyway, I have been experiencing a deep spiritual journey lately. And and when I got that answer from God, it was a clear answer um, and the podcast. And that was really all that I got. I got further thoughts and ideas that maybe there's something more to come, but maybe, you know, it. this is needs to be a time of, you know, uh, spiritual recalibration, something like that. And honestly, that's exactly what it has been lately for me. And while, you know, as listeners, you may not be able to hear or see any difference in me, I feel like I've come a long way in these past few months. And I think, as I look back, I think this has been very good for me to have this time separated from from the podcast, as well as some other projects and things that I've been working on, to really dive deep and I and without going into great detail about uh, how I did this because this is this podcast is not about about um, uh, proselytizing or or in any way um, trying to um, convert you to my way of thinking about spirituality or religion or anything like that um, let me just say that that with 
great effort, spiritual effort, and, and digging and trying to come to understand what God wants me to be doing right now, really to try to find out my life purpose. I had just a remarkable day. I don't want to say it's a remarkable experience because when I, you know, when I say that, it sounds like I had some kind of near-death-like experience, which I did not. In fact, it was extremely simple, but it was also extremely profound in its effect upon me. And it was basically um, a, a day of prayer that I dedicated to finding out what I could um, from Heavenly Father, what He wants me to do with my life. And without going into a lot of detail about how that came about, I did receive some clear, detailed answers that have brought me such peace and comfort that I, I can't even describe how relieving it was. And also trying to integrate the answers that I received um, into my life, I'm still trying to figure it out, and yet it's a joy trying to do so. And um, during that experience of having this um, specific communication with him, I, part of that experience, I asked him, um, why did you have me end the podcast? Why did you have me end it? And, and basically what I felt the response was, was... Uh, because it fulfilled the purpose that I wanted you to do in it, basically. I, I, that's not the wording that I got, but, but basically, the purpose that I set out for you to fulfill in doing that podcast has been fulfilled. The, the, the um, information is there, and it's available to people now. And so uh, I was like, okay, you know, and all this stuff. And, and in this day of, of prayer... Um, I was, you know, spending time on my knees, spending time in meditation, spending time just, you know, walking and thinking and, and, and really trying to get clear with Heavenly Father what He wanted me to do with my life. And, uh, and I felt basically that there will be many things that I will be doing in my life that, uh, fulfill my purpose. And, uh, and to be joyful in those things, and to be, and to enjoy them, uh, because you know the the passions and the joys in the things that God is leading me to do is the direction He wants me to go. Anyway, toward the end of this day, it was it had been a a very um, uh, wonderful experience, also a very exhausting spiritually exhausting experience and I was getting ready to just return to normal life and you know I had one last prayer with Heavenly Father and asked him or and just and just you know was thanking him and so forth and he told me and I'm I don't remember the exact wording I think I I hope I wrote it down somewhere but the wording was by the way I give you permission and I said permission to do what and he said, permission to continue the podcast, if you want to do it. And I felt this message of don't feel obligated, you don't have to, but you absolutely have my permission to continue doing the podcast, if you want to. 
And uh, that was just such a clear message of if you want to do it, if this brings you joy, if this uh, provides you some kind of of uh, sense of purpose, then absolutely do it. And that's fine. And basically saying you don't need my permission to start and you don't need my permission to stop. Other than, you know, in, in terms of the initial permission he was giving me. And he's saying you don't need my permission in order to stop if you if it becomes overwhelming or if things change in your life and you need to put it on hold, that's okay too. But he basically put it in my hand and said, it's okay. I, I'm, I will stand by what you choose to do. And so I spent the remaining weekend really thinking about it and thinking, is this what I want to do? And I, and honestly, I absolutely did. And I felt just so much excitement at the thought of returning. And yet, you know, I wanted to take it easy because I know I can get overwhelmed easily if I push myself too hard. And so I thought, well, I think I could probably pull off a weekly episode. I think I could probably do that. So that's going to be my aim. I'm not going to make any promises because um, if I overcommit myself, then sometimes I get overwhelmed. But uh, but I'm going to aim to put out a podcast once a week. And again, this is still John Messer's podcast now. And I'm so grateful, so grateful to him for what he's done. I've been listening to all of his episodes, and they're fascinating, fascinating. And I love that John is able to cover many of the topics that I don't get very much into. Um, and I think it's it's a beautiful um, thing that we're able to focus on different things at different times, um, based on our backgrounds, based on our on our particular. Um, you know, what we're drawn to and so forth. And, and while we're, we're, we're trying to be very straightforward and clear uh, with you and share all this information in this wide open way, there's going to be different things that are going to stand out to us at different times. Um, for example, I, I read through probably a dozen different near-death experiences before running into one that I'm like, yeah, I want to share that one. And mostly that's because they're short they're simple, and I'd have to share like 10 of them to make a podcast worth. And others are so long that I'm like, I, I, I can't cut pieces out of that, you know, without, you know, I don't feel like I'd be doing it justice by cutting it up. And yet that would take too long to read. And so, you know, going through all of them, deciding what's, you know, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, find one. And I'm like, well, that one's great, but it's just like the one I shared two weeks ago or whatever. And so, you know, anyway, point is there will be different things that stand out to us at different times. And I encourage you to study these on your own as well, simply because there's going to be different things that stand out to you that don't stand out to me or John in the things that we read. And enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, is fabulous for this as is ions.org. Um, they have just hundreds of experiences that are, that are uh, you know, waiting to be read. And you'll find many of these experiences being like, okay, not sure what to make of that. And others being like, wow, that is really interesting to me. And others being like, yeah, that sounds like other ones I've heard. So, you know, 
study these things and 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 uh, comment and you know both on the Facebook page or or wherever and also um, call the phone number and uh, leave a message to share your insights your own thoughts if you've had your own experience share them I will say that um, near death experience at Gmail or sorry near death experience podcast at Gmail dot com will go to John. And he can forward them to me, but if you want to email me directly, um, either, you know, uh, personal questions or, or whatever, uh, you can contact me at chaz at willowrise.com. So, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. You can also contact the podcast, either share a comment, ask a question, or to share your own near-death experience by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thank you, all of you, you guys, so much for listening.